Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Welcome to Jack Kelly. Let's go live with Jack Kelly. I messed up the name of our show. And today I want to introduce you to one of the best HR people in the world, the Chief People Officer of Human Rights Watch, Colin Minson. Welcome, Colin. Jack, good to see you. My pleasure. So, you know, I'm so glad that you're going to be on today because during this time of year, you know, I think not only are we busy buying gifts for ourselves and our family and friends, yeah. we look to, you know, how we can contribute, how we can do good, how we can express gratitude. And I thought that it'd be a good time to introduce someone like yourself who works with Human Rights Watch which is a great cause. And maybe you could share a little bit about what you're about, what you do, how you help people. Yeah, so, so yeah, I'd be glad to. And and, and um, thanks for the invitation. Um, it's good to see you. I won't tell people how long we've known each other um, out of respect for both of us. <laughs> we started when we were very young. We were a very long time, but it's good to see you. It's, it's, yeah. it's um, good to be here. And, um, and of course, I'm always grateful uh, to have an opportunity to talk about, you know, our work um, at Human Rights Watch. And so, you know, we've, um, we're established in 78 um, and, you know, over the years have become, you know, the world's leading um, independent organization, um, focusing on um, all of the mechanisms that we can defend and protect human rights. Um, and we do that by, um, by honing in on, um, violations wherever they happen to be um so bringing attention to them um you know through advocacy um through research through reporting um and all of those things working together build intense pressure for um action um and and raise the cost of human rights abuses whether they're um whether the perpetrators are governments or businesses or um, individuals with means, um, you know, we look under every rock, and um, and our goal is um, to get people's stories and people's experiences, um, and the information around those atrocities out there, so that we can encourage um, people to do the right thing. And um, you know, for over forty years, we've been um, very intentional and tenacious about. Um, you know, laying that kind of groundwork for change and, and letting people know that we're watching. Um, our staff are reporting on conditions in some 90 countries. Um, and, you know, our website's getting, you know, about a thousand hits per day, um, has more than 11 million followers, um, where, um, you know, frequently uh, quoted and our, our reports are, are featured in, in a lot of local and international media. And um, we're really proud of our work. And it's it's been a long year, 2020. Um, when you look at the sort of journey of human rights, it's been a long several decades, but 2020 has been a really challenging year. Um, but our um, some 500 uh, folks who, um, who call themselves part of our organization um, never waned, um, still, um, stayed focused on our mission and 
um, the importance of helping people around the world. And um, as we, you know, 2020 draws to a close, I'm really heightened by um, all the work that took place despite all of the challenges and impediments we faced. That's really amazing. And just, just to get a better idea, so you're in, what, 90 countries, you say? Yes. And then when, when you say human rights watch, so that maybe for, for the audience here, for myself too, to understand it better, so that you're looking, when you say this, is this like, sec, you, you watch out for sex traffickers, child soldiers, can you give a sense of the types of things that you're looking out for? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's... That's a that's a loaded question because um, I don't want to highlight um, certain parts of our work with and 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 not mention others. But um, you know we have a, a children's rights division. Um, uh, we have a women's rights division. Um, we have regional programs in Africa. So we have that. I don't mean to interrupt. I just I just, just want to make sure. So let's say you have children, women's rights. Does that mean like in different countries as your organization? Globally. Yes, it's a global lens, right? And there, and the people, you know, the researchers and and advocates who work in those spaces um, are experts in that particular field, and they work across the world um, to to try to alleviate, um, you know, environments from those kinds of atrocities. And then, what do they do? Like, is it boots on the ground kind of thing, where where you try to take action in the country that's that bad stuff is happening? Or is, it more, or is it more of public awareness to put pressure on the different governments to make the change? Yeah, I, you know, each each um, issue area is different, Jack, but um, look at it sort of, you know, I kind of look at Human Rights Watch sort of as a media organization. So there, okay. you know, we investigate um, um, and, you know, we go where where the work and the stories are um, and, and we use, um, you know, what we find and our platform to expose um, and, and tell the stories of what was discovered, um, sharing them, you know, um, through our various mechanisms of communication. And, and, um, and then, you know, and then our advocacy helps us, you know, sort of operationalize change, um, get the right people in the room, the gov governments, the UN, rebel groups, corporations, um, to try to enact policy and 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 encourage and influence laws um, to make sure that justice is served in the cases where that's appropriate um, and that change happens, um, so that what we investigate um, is an experience that that you know doesn't live on after our um, after our, our influence. That's great. You know, I'm not sure if you're living to say this, but is there kind of an example of something where you know you found some really egregious thing? And then you you kind of brought it to public attention and and made a difference. Yeah, I mean, countless examples. I, I think um, you know I think you know maybe the most recent um, um, news around the um, House of Representatives voting to end uh, marijuana prohibition, um, which has a deep intersection into uh, criminal justice reform in this in the United yeah. States. Um, particularly around the disproportionate um, sentencing around um, around uh, drug offenses um, committed by people of color. Um, so we were part of, um, you know, our U.S. program um, and, and advocacy team were part of a coalition 
um, to help uh, pass the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Well, that's real, oh wait, that's so really interesting. I don't, I don't want to get you. So, so you, you guys were instrumental in this. We're part of, part of that coalition, yes. Wow, that's, that's so, so it's really, it runs the gamut with so, so many different issues, but but I'm sorry, Jared, I just didn't realize. I, yep. It's interesting, and this is why I thought it'd be cool to go over it because I think a lot of people like myself aren't really sure, like what does this all entail, yeah. and it's very far-reaching. So so you were part of the whole coalition. Well, our our research right. Um, right. with the um, American Civil Liberties Union, um, which showed that in the U.S. people were being arrested for drug possession, every, some every 25 seconds. Helped um, start some of the conversation and and um, some of the grassroots movements um, in getting there. And remember that you know this started um, on state ballots as well. Um, and and the but the research our research helped um, you know helped inform the conversation. Um, and then we were um, you know directly uh, working with other groups to. Um, to get this bill um, written and and passed in the house every twenty five seconds. Yes, sir. That's that's mind numbing to to to. And then you say it disproportionately impacts people of color. Yes. That... Yes. And so now, what happens now? Like, where do we stand with it? Like, in terms of. Um, I mean, that's a good question. Um, so this uh, this is a, a recent. Um, legislative victory, and so I think I think now, you know, the the composition of of our uh, sort of political landscape in the U.S. suggests I think that this is going to be difficult um, for folks to uh, um, for us to get passed in the Senate. But but it brings it brings a a long needed conversation around um, around you know understanding the um, the impact um, that you know marijuana prohibition and, the, and its criminality has had on on countless families, and, and as I mentioned before, um, no more than than black and brown communities. Um, and so, um, so I think you know now it's about um, you know working with the Biden administration um, to try to get something passed in the Senate, um, and um, you know and try to make something of this moment that um, the war on drugs never got to. So, so do you, is the next step, would you, in addition to going to the Senate, would you, what do you do with people who are in jail for a long time for this? Do you try to commute their sentences to get them out? Is that part of? Um, I, you know, there's been lots of, of uh, movements and and even, um, you know, Mayor de Blasio in New York City was, was part of, um, you know, a, a, a movement to, um, to look at low, lower level drug offenders who are, who are spending a considerable periods of time in, in jail. I'm not close not? enough to work to, to know the next steps in yeah. um, and what happens to the to those sentences and, and how they're commuted. Yeah. Um, but I suspect that that's, um, that's a much further down the line conversation yeah. as we look um, to, to pass this bill into law, rightfully. So, all right. So how does a Wall Street guy, someone who's been on Wall Street for years, all of a sudden go and now into, uh, and what would you call it, an NGO? And we can talk about that too, to explain the differences, to kind of move into this nonprofit world. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I, I mean, I'm not sure if I've ever considered myself a Wall Street guy, <laughs> but, but it's fair. I was close enough, um, close enough to wear the cape. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, it's, and yeah. actually that's exactly what I was going to say is that um, there is, there is um, in my heart, yeah. um, I actually feel more prepared um, in what I'm doing today because I started in financial services. Um, and certainly like working working in global organizations, um, you know, developing influencing skills um, when you're a 26 year old um, HR associate supporting a trading floor, knowing when to pick your battles, like all of those, all of those things prepared me. Um, but I, you know, always wanted to be a banker. I, I um, you know, grew up um, knowing that I wanted to be a banker and I wanted to go into banking. And I was privileged enough to, um, to become an in-road scholar and, and, and get accepted into, you know, internship and rotation programs at JP Morgan. And I kind of realized early on that I'm not sure that I really, that banking was for me. And so um, I liked, um, I liked the, the spirit of competition. I liked um, like the mechanisms of, of banking and how it made um, the economy work and how it made industries thrive. Like I, I appreciated all of those things, um, but I wasn't sure that I was a banker. And so I quit, you know, with no notice and no backup plan because, you know, wow. sometimes these stupid things. That's gutsy. Uh, dumb, right? Let's <laughs> be polite. <laughs> and, um, and really dumb. And fortunately, um, you know, I had not socialized this with my parents. I just got up one day and decided. Oh my God, what did they say? To make a really important decision. And, and I went to <laughs> HR to quit and they said, we can't let you do this because you're going to have a really difficult time finding another job in banking. To which I told them, well, that's fine because I'm really not sure that this is what I want to do. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I hadn't quite gotten to that part. And they said, well, what you need to do is figure out what your next steps are and then come back and resign. Um, and so several conversations later, they convinced me to try HR, which was an interesting conversation when I went home to tell my parents that I had transitioned from this perfectly appropriate rotation program that would guarantee me a full-time articulated position to um, to wanting to, as my father said, um, whole hands and white tears, which of course is not what HR is, but what people, um, you know, some people who aren't who aren't as nuanced think of it. And um, that's how I started in HR, and I kept, as you know, um, you know, moving within financial services in the HR field. I I was good with people. I had a good understanding of people and psychology. I thought it was interesting and it kept me in the sector, um, which was good for lots of reasons. It, it kept my mind sharp. Um, I met a lot of fascinating people. I did well. Um, and then, you know, I got to Credit Suisse, which is a place I always wanted to work. Um, and it was a wonderful place and a wonderful experience. And there are wonderful people who work there. But it was a really difficult time. And I wound up spending most of my time cutting compensation packages and laying people off. 
And I woke up one day and I just said, okay, so this place of, of this inflection point, this place of reconciliation that you have and you realize you wanted to, you didn't want to be a banker anymore. This is what it feels like. Um, and I went to a place called ExecuCert, which you probably know. And, um, and I told them, I wanna find a job in philanthropy or in the human rights sector or the social justice sector, because that's what I do when I'm not working as a philanthropist. And so I'd like what I do outside of work to be what I do inside of work. And um, they connected me to an opportunity at the International Rescue Committee and I haven't looked back. That's amazing. You know, yeah. just, just unpack a little bit of it. Number one, I think you're very brave and, and I wouldn't say whatever you like dopey or whatever, because I can't tell you as a recruiter, how many times Colin, you, you kind of get a sense from people, they're in a career, they're in a job that they really hate and they did it because of parental pressure, societal pressure, the money, and they're living this life where they're not really happy. And as an intro person, you probably pick up on it too. When you interview people and you just feel they're like in the wrongs, this is not for them and they're not in it for the right reasons. And my heart goes out to those people because they're spending a whole lifetime, a whole career doing something they're just not happy with. And, and what a waste of time and energy. And you had the courage, and I do mean this sincerely, I'm not saying this to make you feel good. You had the courage to say, you know what? I wanted to be a banker, I tried it, and it's not what I thought it was. And I'm not gonna just go through it because I'm gonna make my parents happy and my neighbors will look up to me and so on. I'm gonna do what I feel is right. That takes a lot of guts and courage to do, you know, and it's great to do. And I gotta applaud JP Morgan because you know what? They could have easily said, okay, thanks, goodbye. Yes. But that was a really, that was a really nice move on their part to say, yes. hey, you know what? Don't do it, think about it. And then they came back with a suggestion for you. So that's, you don't see that too, especially now. You don't see that as much anymore. Yeah. I, um, look, I, it, I'm not saying that it's easy to make transitions when there's pressure you place on yourself or there's pressure that people place on you. What I am suggesting is um, that you spend more time at work um, than you do doing mo most other things. And if you have to, if you get that feeling, that stomach pain every Sunday night or every night because you're thinking about having to go to work the next day and, and you're not feeling inspired or engaged are ready to meet the challenge, but like you're just going through the rigmarole. I think that's a really sad way um, to go through life, um, particularly for extended periods of time. And um, and I just I would encourage people to remember that that you can do a perfectly good job at a job you hate, but you can really soar um, in a space in a job that you love. And um, and you know, I used to, my father used to say um, that work is a resource, not a source. And I'm here to say it can be both. Um, and, and yes, I, JP Morgan Chase is, um, it's an organization I grew up in. My first internship with them, I was, I had just graduated high school. So it was before my freshman year. 
And um, and I did that for four summers before entering into the program. They took great care of me. They not they're not only the reason I found HR, um, but it's the start of where I got that training. Um, and those are things that they did for me that they did not have to do. Um, and that's just that is the that's the culture of organizations um, who care more about the people than the position that the people are in. It's yeah, a really good story. And I think so many people can relate to this, Colin, because I'm curious what you hear from folks, both personally and professionally. This year, more I would say this year, more so than let's say the financial crisis and after 9-11, mm. people have basically said like, all right, what else can I do? How, how, right. can I, how can I pivot to something else? How can I reinvent myself? Because I think not to get too deep, but like you get to what happens in 2020, you realize how fragile life is and how precious yeah. it is. And then to your point where you're saying, okay, you spend all your time working and if you really don't like it, you're not happy, you got to do something. And, and, and now more than I've, I've, I've ever heard is like people are like, what do I do for the next five, 10, 20, 30 years? You know, cause I, cause it's like, almost like we go back to the new normal. I don't know if I want to go back to the new normal. You know, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I think your story is good. Cause would you, would you suggest to people to maybe give what you did a shot, meaning that you go to the HR people, you go to your boss and let them know, hey, maybe I want to do something different or is it in this market that's too risky to do? Um, well, so first of all, I, I want to be really clear that I'm going to HR to quit, um, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and expecting them to convince you not to is actually not, um, <laughs> is not the right avenue I want to encourage people to follow. I don't want people, um, yelling at me on LinkedIn for months. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? But I, but I, but the story um, creates another thought process, which is, um, which is how, what role HR plays in career exploration, um, which, which I want to get to. But, but to answer your question directly, um, we're at a place now where information is at our fingertips. Um, there are um, career matching tools um, online that people can go to. There are, there's a research you can do about um, skills that you have or interests that you're in and how they intersect with different careers. And um, I just, I feel like career exploration is something that people do at high school with guidance counselors and in college with career professionals. And then you just start a career and you just think you're supposed to stay there. And I, I reject that notion. I think, I think that should be an evolving thing that folks are thinking about because over time you evolve as a person and your skills evolve, right? It's like, you know, your, um, your relationship with your career is like your relationship with anything else. You know, it needs work um, and it needs, it needs investment in and, and refreshing. And so I think that that's how people need to look at it. Um, look, every HR office is different. Um, if someone came to me and said, I'm not sure that this is the right fit for me, I would work with them to find something that is because that's just, the, that's how I approach things. I, I, um, I, I believe that sometimes people need to be repotted. Right, the soil is still rich, but they've grown out of the pot. 
And, um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But I think, you know, not emotionally reacting to experiences or trauma, um, that's not a good way to, to start having that thought process or having those conversations. But, but a, a, a strategic thought process about where you could go, either aspirationally or reasonably, um, you know, talk to a coach, talk to a recruiter, um, talk to someone in, the, in an HR department or someone in the field or the space that you're interested in who's already doing the work, get the information you need and put together a game plan and get yourself to the right place. Makes a lot of sense. Anything that 2020's taught us, it's that we can be agile. Um, we, can, we can survive a series of circumstances we can't control and we don't know the answer to, and life is short. So true. And it also, it's interesting, you mentioned about your uh, uh I'm not gonna be, your philanthropic yeah. <laughs> endeavors. Do Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And then also I wonder too, is that something also that if you're in a career, whether you like it or maybe you're not so, you're looking for a change, by having these other passions, yes, kind of balances out a little bit. Yes, yeah. So it's a really important question. You know, not everybody could go from Wall Street to, you know, the International Rescue Committee. And by the way, if you ask the folks at the International Rescue Committee what I was like the first month. Um, that was an adjustment for me too, you know. How so? Well, you know, I was <laughs> hard charging. Like I, I was. Um, look, I I was a little authoritarian, and you know, and you know, dressed like this, and I had a way of communicating that people who were in this NGO sector were not accustomed to, and I had I had to make some adjustments without changing who I was. Well, who I was was good enough. Um, but I had to learn um, how I came across and and my messaging and my style, which is something I encourage everyone to really think through and learn from. Um, but there are ways to contribute to um, a lot of meaningful work that's taking place around um, education reform and um, and gender justice and social justice and LGBTQ um, work on the ground. There's there's a lot of good grass movement work around, you know, equality and um, arts and education. And so you don't have to go to ExecuSearch or We Recruit or Compliance Search or wherever to look for a career in it. You can join a board. Um, and um, and for folks who, you know, have looked back at 2020 and recognized that you know much is given, much is required. Um, there are a lot of 501c3 organizations here in New York City and the United States globally that really could benefit from people who have certain expertise, who have strong networks, who need thought partners and, and leaders to help advance their work. And, and I'd encourage people who are looking for a, for a fire to light, um, to feel a sense of purpose that maybe you're not getting from your everyday experience, um, you know, look look at LinkedIn for nonprofits. Um, there's a woman by the name of Cynthia Remick who has an amazing organization um, who's matching uh, talent, um, you know, people in senior positions and, and board opportunities. Um, 
you know, volunteer, whatever it is you need to do in the moment. Um, so much about 2020 and what we've learned is that getting up and going to work um, is good and it's what we should do for those of us who can do it, but there's so much more that we could be doing um, to make, to help make this world a little bit better than we found it. That's great. And I know you, you practice what you preach and you do a lot of these things. Would, would you feel comfortable sharing the activities that you do? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I have a hard time saying no. Um, so I am, um, a volunteer, um, and a facilitator for inroads, um, New York, New Jersey. Um, it's a national organization that places um, um, uh, young people who are gifted and talented from underrepresented ethnic groups in um, in internships and prepares them for careers in corporate America. Um, it's through inroads that I um, was placed at J.P. Morgan Chase, and so I start there because that's what that is the door that opened up many doors for me. Um, and out of that, I got a lifetime a mentor and, and a man named Ivo Filbert. Um, I, uh, I'm on three boards. I had to think about that for a moment. Um, one is uh, the Workforce um, Professionals Training Institute, which is a New York City-based 501c3 um, who's doing work that couldn't be more critical um, right now if you tried, which is... Um, um, placing, um, creating, and looking for opportunities to get people to work. Um, people with um, disabilities, um, people who are re-entering work after um, uh, imprisonment or, or starting a family. Um, and so we, we work with um, job providers um, and, and other resources that are focused on, um, on getting uh, New Yorkers um, gainful employment. And we understand how that um, has impacts on socioeconomics, um, on the on the family unit, um, on keeping people, um, you know, financially stable and 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 and, um, and healthy. Um, the other organization I'm on the board of is, is Youth Represent, which is um, an amazing organization dedicated to supporting um, first-time nonviolent youth offenders and their families um, through the legal process, through the court system, um, for those who are imprisoned, um, making sure that they've got counseling and, and job skills training and job resources when they come out so they can you know, matriculate from that experience to being um, uh, um, good standing members of society. Um, and there's a lot of good work we're doing around there on financial literacy, around, um, around um, family support, um, and, and making sure that, that one mistake that a young person makes um, does not dictate their entire life um, and, and their work life. And then, the, and then I'm about to join um, the uh, Bronx uh, Arts Charter School, um, which is a community that I've always um, cared deeply about supporting, um, and as a child of an, of an, and as a child and a nephew of educators, um, both college professors and board of education presidents and teachers, it's um it's a it's an area that's very close to my heart. That's great. So for people who are, who are watching, so you mentioned about Cynthia Remick who would help with yes 
board if the, you're you want a board seat but then for the uh, for people who may not be at that level but just want to contribute what's is there a site or a best way you can find like what's yes. the best fit yes um so um if people contact me through linkedin i can direct them um i'm having trouble off the cuff but there's yeah, sure. there's a linkedin um volunteer um, site that allows you to explore issue areas and connects you with places who are looking for volunteers and who are looking for um, they, and you don't have to be a board member you could be you could be part of a junior advisory team there, there are all kinds of meaningful ways um, for people to contribute and these um, and these organizations, specifically what they're looking for um it could be um I, okay so it's called the volunteer marketplace volunteer marketplace um, for linkedin for nonprofits um and and there are other sites where there are organizations who are posting where they need people um you know to work at soup kitchens to be tutors um to participate in dress for success if you have suits or, or clothes that are, you know, for the workspace for people who are in shelters um, and who are who are in need of support and are entering the workplace for you to donate. There's just, there's a ton of um, resources uh, for folks to get involved in because let's face it, like let's, you know, if you look around us, um, there's just so much, um, there's so much need and so much yeah. Um, and so I, I, I deeply care about these things and encourage others who want to get involved but don't know how um, to, to, to start that process. And um, if I can be hopeful to people who are listening, um, who want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, it's Colin H. Mincy. I'd be happy to do that. But I appreciate it. What we can do is just when we uh, edit the video to, you know, to re-put it out, repost on social media, Nicole, Christine could... Uh, maybe yeah. put on there some of the sure. places you mentioned. So this way they can take a look and Google it and, and go on LinkedIn yeah. for the nonprofits. Um, it's not, so how do you have the time? That's just a, well, <laughs> just a, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is a challenge. I, I, um, I have, I tend to burn the candle at both ends. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't, feel like a time constraint when you know that you're doing good, right? And so, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, my job's pretty stressful, I have to say, quite demanding. Um, it's very difficult to even get this scheduled. But, um, you know, I wake up, so, so if you look at today, for example, um, I wake up, um, you know, I woke up uh, participating at, at 8 a.m. in a uh, anti-racism, a colonialism work group that's looking at sort of um you know that that lens into our work um and and you know i end my day um you know doing an exit interview with with someone who's moving on um to do really important work who look who credits the work um they've done at human rights watch to prepare them for that reality um, and then later tonight, I um, I have a um, you know a, a meetup group with with my friends from Open Society Foundations where I used to work. 
So, um, so my whole day is dedicated to doing things that contribute to the larger good. And so for me, that doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I mean, the, the thing about boards is, you know, we meet uh, once every three months for each board and there are some committee meetings, but, um, you know, I try to find time for family and friends when I'm not working, um, but I do keep a busy schedule. I don't know how not to. Well, you know, I think, as you said, you know, if you enjoy what you do and you feel you're pursuing something meaningful and your passion, then like you said, it's not really quote unquote work, you know, because I mean, it's work in the sense you, you're doing stuff, but at least you, you enjoy it and it's meaningful. It has purpose. And at the end of the night and the day when you go to sleep, you can feel good about yourself. And even though you're helping people, tell me if you feel this way too, even though you're helping people, you get a lot back from helping people. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it, it's fair to say this is um this is actually a very interesting conundrum. Um, and I think if you ask folks who work in the human rights ecosystem, they'll tell you this. Um, there's there's a lot of good that you get from this, but there are also, you know, when you're really committed and, and deeply focused on the work, there's also a feeling that there's so much you didn't get to because yeah. you sort of see yeah. a lens of suffering and pain and trauma and you want to solve it all um and so yeah i mean there so part of it is um what is part of it is cathartic part of it is is liberating there's a good free feeling about helping other people and then um when you're really in the zone you're thinking about all the things you didn't get to and all the things you want to get to you um and so um, so that's why, you know, stress and resilience is such an important um, part of humanitarian work is just to make sure that people, um, you know, are able to, to reset, restore, celebrate their successes and victories and sort of keep things in focus that you unfortunately won't and can't get to everything. You can only you do know, your very I best. I completely understand this on a very much smaller scale, Colin. So my kids all through high school, they were in a community service club. And one of the main things they did is they take a bunch of the kids who are in this club and you go to Newark and Manhattan, set up tables, offer food, soup, clothes to homeless people and people in need. And they would do this, you know, regularly. So they would show up because they know at a certain day and time they show up. And I would come with them because they wanted a, a parent chaperone. So I, I would go with them. And at first, there was, I, I felt great that I'm helping people. But to your point, I noticed, I, I went into this, and I'll be very, very transparent, thinking that a lot of people we're going to see maybe have drug issues, alcohol issues, what have you. And I learned because you know, you know, when you're handing someone soup, you're what you're facing, you're talking to them, you're hearing their stories, and it seemed to me so many people had mental, emotional issues that a sandwich wouldn't help, and you know, a cup of hot tea wouldn't help, and I left one hand feeling good we're helping, but the other feeling even worse that unless these people have really serious medical and health assistance, it's never going to change. So I, I could see where if you're doing this every day and your team is doing it every day, it can in a way be heartbreaking because you see it and you know it and you're like, 
it's not changing. And unless something happens, it's going to keep going that way. Like, how do you deal with the people at your office? Because that must, it must be tough to kind of keep them motivated and keep them, you know, especially. So, um, to be honest, they motivate me, yeah. um, to be honest. And, you know, these are folks who've dedicated most of their lives to this work, right? They're not someone who work, who woke up one day and had, a, had an epiphany um, that I should be focused on other things. Um, you know, we, we encourage people to take breaks. We have um, on-staff counselors um, that, are, that, you know, who are in different parts of the world who are um, on, on, on hand to support people. Um, we, we have, you know, we invest in, um, you know, uh, su supporting mental health um, and, and self-care. Um, you know, we've got us, we have a sabbatical program for people to take a break after certain years of service. So, um, so and, and it is, so stress and resilience like DEI are institutional priorities. At HRW, I happen um, to have been working, you know, very, very directly, very closely, very intentionally in those two buckets in, in my time at Human Rights Watch since January when I joined. And um, it's 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 an issue for people. And, and the thing, you know, to remember is that this this victory, this amazing work um, done by many of our one of our colleagues in the US program and advocacy and other and our crisis response team and other other places around um, the marijuana legislation more um, you know not all of our investments in investigations and report and, and research and advocacy um, yield the outcome we want and so you know, Man, the manifestation of the stress and the trauma around wanting to help and not always um, getting to the finish line um, is also, you know, um, areas where we, we have to make sure there's extra uh, and additional support for people. It's great you do that. You know, I don't know, is that done with a lot of other companies? I don't, it doesn't feel that way. You know what? Um, I don't think so. And um, and I'm and I have to tell you that um, we um, closed our offices early for COVID. Um, we created a dependent care policy where we reimbursed folks for incremental costs like childcare and electronics for younger children. Um, we gave people the option of reducing. Um, their schedule up to 25% with no impact in pay. Like we've done a lot of really progressive things in the moment because I think, um, you know, we're, we're so busy taking care of the world. Um, it's really important we have to take care of our own people. And so um, prioritizing, you know, that prioritizing the importance of caring for self um, uh, collapsing and defeating the stigmatism on, on mental health support, um, which is a real problem in this country and other parts of the world. Um, proactive mental health is something we should all be celebrating. It should not be something people are ashamed of. Um, and then just from an employee engagement and retention perspective, which is an area we're trying to work on a Human Rights Watch, um, 
if people, if the organization takes care of people and people take care of themselves, they will approach their work in a healthy way, which means um, that they will be able to go further and will be able to hold on to them longer. And that is kind of the threshold that I sort of approach um, how our HR function supports the organization. Yeah, that's great. I would love it if more companies would do that. To be fair, maybe a lot do, I'm just not aware of it. But you would think you would, you would read more about, especially I'm always on the lookout for articles to write you know, for Forbes. And I haven't seen, uh, you know, you would think you would see press releases from companies saying, here's what we're doing for our people. Here's all this, this pro is glaringly not, not there. Now they could be doing it. I just don't see it. So it's, it's great that you guys are doing it. And yeah. it's probably even tough for you to do it too, because I'd imagine, you know, your organization yeah. relies a lot on, on, on fundraising and it has to be hard to fundraise when you can't meet people, you can't have dinners, you can't have events. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's so great you brought that up. I just, you know, we have a development function like no other. Um, you know, we do not accept money from corporations or governments. So um, all of our money comes from individual contributors and foundations. Um, and this and this development team raises almost ninety million dollars a year. Um, it seems and, like a lot. Is that is that a lot in, in your in your? Yes. Your, yes, it's a lot. It's a lot of money um, when you don't, when, for an NGO, when you're not accepting government funding and corporate funding, it's a, it's a ton of money. Um, and it is, it's used responsibly. Um, and, and it goes to our, our global out, uh, outlet and, and the meaningful work that's done. But we've, you know, dinners and film festivals that we're used to, um, getting a lot of these donations have been canceled. And so, you know, we've had to pivot to virtual um, global events and, and other things um, to try to keep up. But uh, so, and then as you may have heard, um, there are a lot of conversations about a projection of an economic downfall, right? And, and or, or however you want to call it. And so we're preparing um, and, and making, you know, really good financial decisions from a strategic perspective. But yes, um, offering these kinds of benefits cost money, but we, deci we decided that this was not an argument about economics. It was an argument about values. And, um, you know, with so many, you know, the large uh, percentage of our population are women um, and and many of them um, are, are, are women and men with children uh, and they are homeschooling for the first time. There's a reason we weren't all teachers. <laughs> and um, so we, we felt it was a values argument. If we were going to expect people to contribute to work because our work cannot stop because atrocities on the world don't stop, we had to do something meaningful to support people in the moment. And I'm very proud of the work we did. That's great. If you could, if we could circle back to what you mentioned, like NGOs, and then fifteen another kind of for people five hundred one c threes. Yeah, and people like myself, to be fair, who are not terribly familiar with these designations, maybe you know. And I'm just looking at the time, and, and thank you so much because I know you're now. I know even more than ever you're a busy guy with a lot on your plate. So can you maybe just just quickly say like the different kind of organizations because everyone's always a little leery. 
hey, is this kind of a legit cause or is this not? Like, the, what's an NGO? What's what are some of the differences so people be a little bit more educated? Uh, that was out there. Um, finally, a question I can't answer well. Um, <laughs> right. a, a 501c3 organization or a nonprofit or a charitable organization, um, you'll meet this meet certain standards in the IRS tax code. Um, and and um and and an NGO is um you know is literally a non-governmental organization that that is typically um you know they're nonprofit organizations, but they they are have some kind of you know um humanitarian or social sciences um lens where they're they're operating in a space of 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 um, high public identity and they are seen as 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 lobbying different um, sectors of government and and private um, and private corporations to advance certain missions. So I would so an NGO is just a very large um, charitable organization, but it it operates without um, you know, independent of government funding or influence. So if people like looking to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this time of year, like we started talking at the beginning of the conversation that I'm thinking of giving to good causes, all that, should that weigh into it? Is it, or, or is there a way that they could look and find, hey, how can I find a good cause, but be, feel comfortable that it's yeah. the right people? Because so many, you see so many articles where they'll talk about a certain charity, a certain cause, and then you look how much money actually goes to the recipients and it's so yeah. small compared to what the company itself and the executives take home. And you're like, why am I gonna give? Because it's not really going to the people in need. Um, yeah, so I would, by the way, I would encourage people to, um, to contribute to Human Rights Watch. If you go to HRW org, our website, you can see all the amazing work that's being done, all the issue areas that we cover. Um, I'd also encourage people to go to Charity Navigator, um, which is the world's largest, you know, nonprofit evaluator. Um, you can find nonprofits and issue areas that you're particularly interested in. You can also look at different um, evaluative measures about how that money is used, what percentage of that money um, goes to the work versus operational costs and all those types of things. Um, I'd encourage if you're not following LinkedIn for nonprofits, um, please do so. It's a fabulous consortium of nonprofits. There's content, there's calls to action. Um, it's just a good way. Um, if you're worried about our country, if you're in the United States, if you're worried about the world, if you're outside the United States, if you're outside of the United States and you're still worried about our country in the United States, I understand that too. Um, it's just a good way to see all the meaningful work um, and the talented people sort of contributing to this thread of, um, and this moment, uh, there's something about this moment that feels really different um, in terms of, of, uh, of philanthropy and, and volunteerism and social justice. So, um, and of course, if, if, if people need direction or if I can be hopeful, they can reach out to me privately, but I'll make sure um, I'll make sure that I get, um, is it Nicole? It is, right? Yes. Yes, 
make sure I get Nicole um, some of those resources of when this go when this is rebroadcast. Um, some of those things can can be show, can be live on screen as we're talking. That'd be great. But, but let me ask just to follow up one point. When you said it's different, is different how it's going? Different, better, worse? A be well, um, so so I'll be clear. What I think is better is that more people uh, have come off of the sidelines to contribute to ways in which our communities, um, our country, um, our neighbors, um, our young people um, can, better, can be better supported. Um, to get there has been some not so great things, but, um, but I would say that, that you know, something after uh, the George Floyd killing um, in this country, I think some really good conversations have come about, um, about people in marginalized communities um, and access and, and experiencing life differently than their counterparts. And from that has created a lot of allies um, who see that there's that we could be better and could do better, and who are who are venturing into spaces that they haven't been in before to help contribute to that outcome? And I think I think it's a it's an end that justifies the means. So 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 at least it feels it may be going in a more positive direction. Unfortunately, with everything that happened to get yeah. up there. But it's, it yeah, it's 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 hard to find a silver lining in a tragedy, and and yeah. a set of circumstances as hor horrific as that was. But yes, I think, um, I think that that a lot of people who didn't say anything, and who didn't previously do anything, when um, when um, when uh, Eric Garner was killed. Um, or or um, the young man in Baltimore was killed, um, said, oh, no, this is not okay. And I'm going to um, do something I haven't done before, which is do something. And, um, and I, think, I think that's a really important inflection point in, in our journey to, to just live in a world that um, all of our kids and their friends and the people who we care about and who are coming up behind us can feel safe um, and can feel like they have an equal access to to, to striving and thriving um, safely with a purpose, with an identity. And um, I think we're I think we're moving towards that space. Um, and there's a lot of really good people trying to fight to make sure that that happens. I think this is this is a good way to wrap it up. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And I and and I'm hoping the same as you that that it is people are starting to be much more aware. Took a, par, a, a pandemic and everything you talked about to start making people say, "Hey, we we have to do something. We have to make some changes." And that's why I'm so glad we had this conversation. And people and I think it's so helpful to hear for someone like yourself who 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 wanted to be a banker you know, started being a banker, pivoted to HR, into this area of nonprofit, uh, yeah. international rescue, human rights, and trying to make changes, and, and for people to understand what it's like, what it's about. 
you know, because I think people are generally good natured and want to help, of but sometimes they don't know what to do or how yeah. to do it or what it's about. Yeah. So I think this is a good starting. This is a great point for a lot of people. And this yeah. is why I figured we could include a lot of the links, a lot of the places to go to so that people could really feel empowered to make a difference too. Yeah, I, I, um, I really appreciate this conversation. It's not at all the conversation I thought we'd have, but it feels <laughs> like it, the conversation is it good is it a, we should have, have had, so I'm glad we did. And, um, and I'll just leave by saying yes. one, of the, one of the most interesting things when I've talked to people who have different political um, uh, leanings that I do, who look at the world a little bit differently is, um, you know, you don't have to be in the position of being oppressed to appreciate its impacts and the traumas that it has on people. And so what I've learned in this moment is about empathy um, and, and understanding one another and having really, having conversations with people who look differently, who live differently and learning from them and using that to sort of um, color how you look at the world. I think that in itself um, is a really good starting point to creating um, a, a stronger sense of community um, with people who, who look at the world differently. Because I don't think that people who don't look, who don't look like me or think like me are bad people. Um, many of them are, are in my life and are close friends, but I do think um, going a step further and investigating and learning from people who are different um, helps helps gain a sense of empathy and and a call to action that I think people are looking for. That's great. And, and, and I'm in. So let me know too what I could do to help. I, I'm really impressed with the organization and what you're doing there. And separately, we'll talk later. Whatever yeah, for sure. how I can I definitely love to contribute somehow, some way. This is such a great cause. So thank you so much, Colin, for sharing everything. I, this was a really great conversation. I'm, even though it may have went a different direction you thought, I hope that, it sounds like it, it was, was a good direction. No, it was the right direction. Yeah, Excellent. the right direction. I Excellent. appreciate that. So um, thank you. I went back to math, it's 15 years. I'm sorry? 15 years, I went back and did the math. Wow. Yeah, so um, thank you for all that you do for the market and, and for people um, and, and your teams as well. And, um, and thanks for inviting me today. Oh, my pleasure, Colin. Thanks yeah. so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.